0: Hi, this is Ben Church. On my way to and from my cello lessons, I listen to Digital Watches are a pretty neat idea podcast. You see, my teacher, he's a nice boy, but sometimes I think that all that bowing gets him a little bit excited. Jeff and Brian help me take my mind off of it. My nervousness of having the sudden startling revelations that everything's gonna be alright just melts away. Just listening to their podcast is like taking off heavy weights black and white becoming color and a dry stick suddenly being watered like my feet just don't touch to the ground the sudden shift of perspective that says put away all your
1: worries
2: the world is a good and perfect place
0: hi there and welcome to digital watches are a pretty neat idea this is brian and i'm with my friend jeff and we'll be talking about hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy in all its forms but before we do that let's listen to a message from one of our proud sponsors
1: this is god who
3: did you expect If you have been planning to travel beyond the limitless light-fields of Flannux to the grey-binding fiefdoms of Saxoquin, within which orbits the planet Preliumpterne, around the star named Zars, to the land of Severbupstri, where you will come to the great red plain of Rars, which is bounded on the south side by the quenchulous Quasgar Mountains and on the further side of which to see, in thirty-foot-high letters of fire, my final message to my creation. I regret to inform you it will be closed for renovations for the foreseeable future. We apologize for the inconvenience. Keep checking this space for updates. Hey, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Well, I feel like I need to do some cleaning. Oh my gosh,
0: what's dirty in your mind? (laughs) Well,
3: first of all, we're remodeling a bathroom, so there's dust everywhere. (laughs) Absolutely. But that's not what I want to clean up. What I want to clean up are some loose ends that I have got after finally finishing all six books in the trilogy. Fantastic. So Brian and I want everybody to know out there that this is going to be our second episode in a row where we're actually in the same room recording because he's actually helping me remodel my bathroom and creating all of that dust. Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. And it is a little different because there's no pause, there's no time skip. Right,
3: and there's not the ability with two separate recordings to really clean up the audio and get rid of all the noise and the grunts and the coughs and everything else. So please bear with us as we have to leave a lot of that in, which has usually been removed. Since this is our year-end episode, I would like to start with kind of reviewing a few of last season's episodes, just in case there's anything special that either of us have to say about them. Has it really been a whole nother year, Jeff? It has been. Two (laughs) seasons. Two years of this. That's crazy. It is. I didn't think it'd last two episodes,
1: but...
0: (laughs) Well, we always knew that uh, we had a lot of material to cover, and uh, I think when we first set this out, didn't we plan 40-something episodes and had no idea what we were going to do beyond that?
3: Yes, I think when we planned it out, we had 48 episodes
0: planned out, which
3: would be a full two years, Mm -hmm. which we didn't really think we would get to. Nope. But because we did a couple of multiple-part episodes... We did surpass the
0: 48 for the two seasons, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I really enjoyed all of the episodes we've recorded and uh, look forward to our review. Yes.
3: Well, the first one that we did after last season's review was the one that we did with Athena Fan, the Wally Remarkable... Athena fan, (laughs) which is still way up there on one of my favorite episodes. Oh,
0: absolutely. That's a fantastic episode, and and certainly we've praised her for her efforts. It would have been glorious if we had heard from her at some level. Unfortunately, I don't believe we have, have we?
3: Uh, We have not.
0: I'd just like to reiterate how much I enjoyed listening to the Athena fan version of this story. Yeah, and... (laughs) I wish she would have continued. Yes,
3: absolutely. I think there's no hope of ever hearing it. (laughs) Another one of my favorite episodes from last season would have been the poetry episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was excellent. I enjoyed that very, very much. You
3: brought in all kinds of all-stars to read poetry for us. (laughs) Fantastic list
0: of guests. So if
3: any of you are out there listening to this episode, thank you again Mm -hmm. for your help in the poetry episode. (laughs) The next episode I want to bring up is an enigma. An enigma. (laughs) It is an enigma. Absolutely. After we did our review of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, we always have our questionable answers where I ask Brian questions and he answers them. And that bonus episode has about a Dozen times more views than the average episode that we have. <laughs> yes, it stands out on a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. If you're looking at a, a a chart or a graph of the number of views or listens or downloads per episode, that
0: one certainly spikes. That does indeed. And we don't know why. Well, I think you had a speculation of why, but we and we do kind of know why. I mean. We know how. Right, how. We
3: don't know why. Mm -hmm. So the how of it is something has happened in the Samsung free app. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that one episode must have been promoted or highlighted highlighted or something. Because not just do we have the 12 times more views than the normal episode, but they all come... From the Samsung Free app.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we got uh, promoted on that particular app, and then that particular episode got downloaded many, many extra times because of it. And if you're not aware, if you click on it,
3: listen to three seconds, or listen to the whole thing, it's... One download. So
0: <laughs> I don't know if they listened to any of the episodes. Right. I mean, I, even in our own simple analysis, it didn't relate directly to an additional listener. <laughs>
2: yes.
3: You
0: are, you are correct, sir. <laughs> I'm not sure what the numbers were, but maybe 20 to one or so, something like that. <laughs> Other notable episodes from the last season
3: was between the two episodes that we did for mostly harmless because Mm -hmm. that had to be broken into two episodes we wanted to do our questionable answers after the second episode so we had a bonus episode to waste i invited my brother john in and we told some squirrel stories because (laughs) squirrels played a
0: part in the mostly harmless book yes they did with nice wet towels uh, trying to entertain their guests.
2: Yeah,
3: so again, I want to thank John for doing that episode with us. And we had a lot of fun. I hope everybody out there had a lot of fun listening to it. (laughs) And if you've got a squirrel story, please email it to
2: us.
0: (laughs) At (laughs) squirlystories.com. No, just kidding. (laughs) The first person ever to send us an email is going to send it to
3: stories. (laughs)
2: my
0: gosh.
3: Uh, and then the last thing of
0: note of episodes for this season is we did the comic books. Right. But before we did the comic books, we did do one thing that I think relates to our most recent episode, which I do want to bring up. Okay. Um, when we did the last 11 minutes... Yes. Of the radio show. Yes, the radio. Essential phase. Yeah,
3: the radio show turned everything on its ear at the end of Mostly Harmless and just shook everything up and changed everything around so it had a happy
0: ending. Right, and I thought that was pretty funny. And it wasn't until we were telling the story of And Another Thing that we saw that there were any connection to the original story. Well, let's say a deviation from the original story. But it it was interesting that... The author for And Another Thing pulled that 11 minutes into his story.
3: Yes, he could have certainly just started right from where Mostly Harmless left off, ignoring the radio series Mm -hmm. because everything's in its own universe. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. Mm -hmm. He incorporated the end of Quintessential Phase, which
0: was kind of neat. Right, and now we went to the comic books from there. Yes, we did... Comic book, comic book, comic book, comic book, comic book. (laughs) And I always wondered whether was that when we jumped the shark, Jeff?
3: (laughs) (laughs) We may have, we may have jumped the shark or jumped the whale
2: (laughs) with some fishy things. Yes, some aquatic sea mammal.
0: (laughs) I mean, they were definitely interesting, and I do really appreciate the way you put them on YouTube as a video, I think they read and watch very well when you compare that to the podcast. I think it's the, well, other than our illustrated version from last season, the illustrated book version from right. last season, it's the only one that relates really well to a YouTube approach to a podcast. Yes, absolutely. Agree with that
3: wholeheartedly. So when we were doing the nine issues of the three volumes of the comic book, hmm There were lots of times in there that something would be written that was not familiar to either of us. That's
0: correct. I recall many, many times that that came up.
3: And the vast, vast majority of the time, it would be me that said,
0: that wasn't in the book. (laughs) Yes, that's true. But I know I did the exact same thing as you.
3: But you didn't ever say, oh, yes, it was. (laughs) You'd say, no, I don't remember that either. And then we would look it up Uh and sure enough... It would be in the book. (laughs) But before we get to that, I'm going to give another little behind-the-scenes editing thing. Okay. Because one of the times that I was looking something up, you were talking about something in the comic, and you said something funny. Okay. But I wasn't listening because I was doing research (laughs) looking something up. So I'm doing the final edit of the podcast, getting ready to put it all together, and I hear you tell a joke Followed by dead silence. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to decide whether to cut the whole joke or just let that (laughs) joke flop with dead silence. Or look for a clip of me laughing at another part of the episode and put it in there.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
3: And so that's what I did. And I was telling Denise about it, and she called
0: that cheating. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, I mean, we don't want to go too far behind the velvet curtain and expose Oz here. But uh, yes, this is a podcast. We put it together. Typically, we are in separate states. Yep. Each of us at our own computer, each of us recording what we say so that uh, we have a backup of what we're saying.
3: And it's not a live broadcast.
0: No. So we can do whatever we want. That's correct. So Jeff is a consummate magician (laughs) when it comes to making our podcast sound like anything respectable. (laughs) Right. And certainly makes us sound intelligent, which I really appreciate. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Another one of the
3: goofy things that I do and we do during the podcast, and it only makes sense, is we're having... A conversation like it's a conversation. And I want it to sound fluent. I don't want it to jump all over. But after we have a little discussion, one of us will go, oh, and we have this thought. (laughs) I wanted to say this before we did this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Say it now, I'll put it there. <laughs> so that that does happen frequently. Mm-mm. But about this podcast and not remembering things that were in the book, we kind of have our theories. So I think what we're gonna do, and we've not talked too much about this, is I'm gonna tell you all of the different instances and hopefully Brian can come up with a couple of different reasons that it happens. Mm -hmm. Like, why did we not remember this? Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that most of them are all going to be for the same reason (laughs) uh, because we have had a little brief discussion and it does kind of make sense. So I'm going to blame one of the reasons for all of our mistakes is that in the very first episode, there was a passage about Vogon cuisine that was also on the trading card. And it stated, Capellan-jeweled crabs are prized for their dazzling beauty. Vogons prize them for their two-week-old rotted fish taste and the popping and squealing sounds they make when roasted live over an open fire. Sounds that remind them of their poetry. Well, that was the first instance that I said, that wasn't in the book, and (laughs) that wasn't in the book. So that made me think there might be a lot of instances of little additions that weren't in the book. That's correct. I don't want to say I was looking for them, but every time something came up that I didn't recognize, Mm -hmm. I went, oh, that wasn't in the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And certainly after nine episodes, it did become quite the running joke between the two of us. Yes,
3: it certainly certainly did. And I've got pages of our mistakes. And for those of you listening out there, if you've listened to the episodes about the comic books and when we were talking about certain things, and if you said, well, I don't remember that from the book. Well, <laughs> guess what? It was, it was in the book. <laughs> right. As,
0: as we ultimately determined after going through all nine episodes, most of the references in the comic book were definitely in the book. We did find a couple that were unique to the comic book. Yes. There's a bunch of visual jokes that could not have been related in the story. Right. Uh, They're definitely within the realm of the universe of Douglas Adams. It was fascinating. By near the end of the episodes, whenever we would say, I don't think that, then we would both stop and say, wait a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Don't say that. Don't say that. Not a definitive statement. No. Don't make the definitive (laughs) statement.
3: Well, here's something that was in the episode that I remember one way and it is actually correct in the comic and it was because the same in the book, but it's wrong in real life. <laughs> Ford and Arthur are about to be thrown out of the Vogon ship and Ford and the guide said to take a lung full of air and you can survive 30 seconds. And when I saw it in the comic, I thought it was incorrect and i thought that the book said to expel all the air out of your lungs which is what you should do or else you'd pop in a vacuum you want as little in your lungs as possible because as soon as you went to a vacuum everything's going to inflate so you don't want a lung full because you're already at capacity Mm -hmm. not that we're going to be thrown out of a spaceship at any time soon Mm -hmm. how about this I will definitely not be thrown out of a spaceship (laughs) anytime soon.
0: Is that a definitive statement? That is a definitive statement. Oh, my gosh. It makes me think of the scene from the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 movie that I just watched. Okay. And, um, of course, our hero is escaping an exploding ship and jumping from one ship to another. And he's slowly going through space and he gets hit by something which retards his vector and his speed. So he, he's not going to make it. Right. And he's freezing and he starts swelling. And then eventually he does fall on the deck. And then he recovers. And the first thing he said is, did that look really cool? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> However, another show that
3: we have talked about, which had the greatest scene of that type, would have been The Expanse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When she jumped from ship to ship,
0: that to me was how it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she didn't wonder if it look really cool. No, she did not. She knew death was imminent, but she did it anyway. Yes. She had no choice. No, she had no choice.
3: So from that point on, there were many many times that i would say that is not in the book you would agree i would look it up we were wrong and i would edit (laughs) that portion out so it did not sound like we didn't read the
2: books
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and that's one thing that surprised me with the number of times i listened to and read the book i can't believe that every word isn't ingrained in my brain
0: <laughs> well i've told you over and over again i can't separate all the knowledge that i have i can't separate the knowledge from the radio as i do from the book now you have done a phenomenal job of correcting me when i'm wrong <laughs> 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 because you seem to have the capacity to disassociate the place that you learn the information or associate the place you learn the information from the original source. And at this point, so much of it is just mishmashed in my brain. And
3: that is understandable. <clears throat> what I have is an ability to remember if I heard it in a live teleplay mm-hmm. versus an audio book. Uh-huh. So if, when I remember something, if I hear it in Trillian's voice, then I know that it came from the TV Ah, show or from the radio show. I see. So I have an auditory memory
0: of the actor portraying the character Mm -hmm. more than Douglas Adams reading the book. Isn't that interesting? Because I know for a fact, um, and we've talked about this before, if I've read something, I have a pretty vivid memory of that thing for years. Mm -hmm. So if I physically read a book, in fact, until this last two years... I have never reread a book. Okay. And it wasn't until we started this process that I found myself rereading material that I had previously read. Now, I can't say that I have a what is it, eidetic memory. Right. But I have a memory for plot and character and information, and uh that part of the story is what I would remember, but when I do read, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, it just, it all falls back into place with my memory of it. So it's a different type of memory. So I, I don't associate, like you do, the auditory part to the, the visual part. It's all one thing right. in my head. Right.
3: Well, it turns out that we went through the second issue of Hitchhiker's Guide without ever questioning anything in that issue. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of ourselves. But then we got to the third. <laughs> One that slipped by us When they were on the surface of Magrathea, Arthur was amazed and in awe Because it was the first time he was on an alien planet Correct He does say Pity it's such a dump though In all of my readings I never ever attributed that line to him Mm -hmm. I attributed it to Ford Who called the planet a desolate hole Right So In the episode I talk about there's no way Arthur would have said "pity it's a dump" after being so in awe mm-hmm. the first time. But in the book, he does call it "pity it's a dump."
0: <laughs> You're right because the character doesn't seem to fit. You know, his his awe, his amazement should have been overall. You yes, know? and I would have thought that's more of a Marvin line than right. even even Ford. I mean, obviously Ford and, and Zaphod are much more well-traveled, but they seem to be very comfortable in a dump.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
3: Mm. Well, here, um, something that was left in, in nothing that we called to, but since we're pointing out our errors, I want to point these out. Now, there are a lot of errors I'm not going to point out where we misspeak. Right. We say the wrong person said this, but we know it was the other person. In one episode, I think I said Ford was from Alpha Centauri instead of Beetlejuice. I mean, so... Those I'm not going to point out because it's not what we did. These aren't mistakes that we truly believed were one way and found out (laughs) were another. But after Arthur said the difficulty with his lifestyle, you mentioned it was about the time to have Marvin say it will all end in tears. Actually, the all end in tears line was said by the matronly personality of Eddie Mm -hmm. when they left the ship Mm -hmm. the first time. So Marvin didn't say it'll end in tears. Eddie technically said it it would end in tears. (laughs) So you got your computer robot confused.
0: (laughs) Oh, surprise, surprise.
3: (laughs) Here's one that we discussed that I remember what you said was the answer. And we'll see if you remember what you said was the answer. (laughs) But when they were on Magrathea and they were going through the tunnel... Trillian came across some strange symbols of some type and called Zaphod over and said, what are these strange symbols? And Zaphod says, they look like some strange symbols. And neither of us remember that, even though it was perfect Zaphod line. Right. So why do you think both of us thought it was very obvious Mm -hmm. in the comic, but neither remembered in the book or audiobook. Why do you think that was?
0: My recollection of that part of the story was that we had a short discussion about the fact that it was strange symbols. They they and there's a visual image here. Yes, in the comic book there's a big panel with strange symbols. Right, right. So it was it was easy to see and and I don't remember having read that exactly, you right.
3: know. Right. I don't remember Trillian talking about strange symbols. No. But you could not miss the strange symbols. <laughs> in the
0: top panel of a page of the comic book right and we even talked about that before i think this also relates to the slardy bartfast and where the Babelfish wouldn't have been able to inter- interpret a name correct. necessarily so symbols that sh- should have or could have been interpreted weren't because they might have been referencing names or places that that they had no reference for
3: right correct Another thing that neither of us remembered was that Zephod's used Biro business netted him 60,000 Altarian dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, money is a funny thing, isn't it?
3: Yeah. I mean, I remember Zephod getting the Biro business right. and doing everything, but I don't remember that they specifically mentioned him making 60,000 Altarian dollars. No,
0: I don't. I don't recall that either.
3: But he did. Yes. And it's in the book. Yes. (laughs) And it's in the comic. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, both of us forgot that Slardy Bartfast said that he was upset that the Earth was destroyed. And both of us only remember that the mice would be furious. Right. And I guess the mice being furious edited out the Slardy Bartfast being upset.
0: Right. So I don't
3: know. That was another one of those things that we both forgot.
0: Right. And and obviously even we, we did forget it, but it makes sense that Slardy would make that comment because he was awarded his award for the work that he did on the Earth, and now it's gone. Right.
3: In the historical records, you were hoping to jump right to Vroomfondel and Magic Thighs. Yeah, oh, yes. You said your two favorite characters. <laughs> Names, yes. Well, they never made the comic. Uh-huh. They and who never we did. were looking at was Loonquall and Fook. Mhm. But you were really hoping, like, here's my two <laughs> favorite characters, like, not yet, nope, <laughs> not, not yet. yet, and not ever,
0: right, right.
3: <laughs> At the banquet with the mice, mm-hmm. the one that says the screaming heebie-jeebies mm-hmm. also called the vogons, win it ridden before that, so that the win if those win it ridden vogons didn't come and destroy the planet, and for whatever reason. Neither of us remember the mice calling the Vogons "win it ridden." Mm-hmm. Why couldn't we remember when it ridden"?
0: Don't know. It's just a word that I wouldn't have in my normal vocabulary.
3: But to me, that's why we should have remembered it. Yes. Like when I'm reading something, if they just said the blasted Vogons, I may not remember that they said blasted Vogons because it's a relatively common type of phrase. But "win it ridden." I'd never heard of in my life before. Mm-hmm. And so that one surprises me that it skipped my mind. And you, the one who loves
0: <laughs> literature and odd words. Well, I, you know, and, and as we sit here right now, I'm still saying to myself in my brain, what the heck is a winnet? And why is it ridden? <laughs> <Right. laughs> yes. and, and probably if I had taken the time, which I usually do, and that's why I would remember these things, of looking it up or determining what they were, I would probably have remembered them. But I believe that I probably just glossed right over the word yes. and let it go. You yes. Know?
3: I, I gloss over a lot of terms like that. And like I said, I think that is going to be our number one reason mm-hmm. for the rest of these comics <laughs> of why we don't remember things. So that comes to the end of Hitchhikers. And then we get to the first issue of Restaurant.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: When the computer was jammed with the tea question, Brian remembered it being the computer who was counting down the time to destruction when it was, in fact, forward. forward right. So that's just another one of those, you got so many characters doing so many things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily, in any of the books, audio, or written form, tell you who's speaking at the time. It's just... <laughs> Dialogue, 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 and you have to put it in your head. Mm -hmm. And if you miss one little phrase that said somebody did something here to know where it was, it's easy to get the dialogue confused. Correct. And
0: I remember this in my mind. I was thinking, I remember the computer singing. Right. So I'm assuming that as he's singing or the voice is singing, he's also counting down. But it's not what was happening. Right.
3: For some reason neither of us remembered Zaphod's great-grandfather telling him that he cannot escape his purpose and it basically does not matter what Zaphod does because the improbability field controls him. He is in its grip. Mm -hmm. That is such a crucial concept (laughs) for the whole book that I still am confounded how neither of us remembered that
0: Right. And what's odd to me is that until Owen, in the last book that we read, started having a, he has a conversation in that book where Ford confuses left brain, Zaphod, by saying that probability becomes, or improbability becomes probability when something happens consistently. Yes. And the fact that they are saved over and over again is a consistency that destroys the uh, concept of improbable it's a pattern right it's a pattern and it and it starts happening and that's in this statement that the grandfather makes he's also suggesting that the improbability field is destined to create patterns and that's also contraindicated by the idea of an improbability field yes yes <laughs> very confusing
3: So then we get to issue two of Restaurant. Mm -hmm. And when the group was reunited on the Heart of Gold after Zaphod survived the Total Perspective Vortex, he was asked what happened, and he said something like, let's just say I had the whole situation in my pocket. (laughs) And he did. Right. But I don't remember that line in the book.
0: I know. I know. I don't either. and.
3: Because it was a little aside joke that I glossed over, obviously. Mm-hmm. I didn't put the importance into it that I could have or should have. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'll put this here now. is It also makes me wonder how many other little things did I miss
0: <laughs> that I just glossed over. Right, right, right. It is interesting because obviously in retrospect we can see how important that comment is. Right.
3: And then... Many of you out there might be asking, well, why didn't you just give up? And why did you start questioning <laughs> that things were in the book or not? Because one thing that we got correct is recognizing that it is Ford that says, wow, what sort of drinks do you serve here mm-hmm. at the restaurant at the end of the universe when they were told that the universe was going to explode. But in the comic book, they have it as Zephod. Right. So now we got some validation that we do see that there are differences.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So mm-hmm. we keep
0: going. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember somewhere at this point, when whenever one of these situations would come up, I would beg us not to question <laughs> because we were wrong every time. Yes, yes. <laughs> but then we'd be right. Yes.
3: <laughs> and now here's one that I'm going to give us a pass on. Okay. And this kind of goes... With what I was talking earlier about actors and cast members versus audiobook and reading, mm-hmm. in the BBC TV show, Trillian saying, "This is awful," mm-hmm. stands out in my mind. Right? I mean, her way of saying it was perfect, and then Marvin says, "That's what I said."
1: This is awful.
3: That's
2: what I said.
3: I've always attributed that line to her. Correct. In the radio series, she doesn't say it. There's nobody says that whole, this is awful, that's what I said, isn't in the radio series at all. But because that's what I have in my head after seeing the TV show, mm-hmm. when they said in the comic book that Arthur said, this is awful, I'm like, no, that's trillion. <laughs> but in the book, it is Arthur.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's
3: right. On to issue three of Restaurant at the End of the Universe. (laughs) In the beginning, I saw the depiction of Earth, and I said that the continents should be closer together like Pangea. (laughs) Well, I did have to to look it up, and Pangea was over 200 million (laughs) years ago, not just 2 million years ago. So the continents... Would have pretty much been where they were, so <laughs> I'll admit that I was wrong, but I just
0: thought it would be funny yes. to have the continents closer together. Oh my gosh.
3: When the Golgothrichens were telling why their planet was doomed, we remembered a lot of the other reasons, right. like the star goat and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but neither of us remember the 12-foot piranha
0: bees. No, no. But, of course, it's in the book. <laughs> Wouldn't you expect 12-foot piranha bees to be in the book? <laughs> Obviously, we didn't, but...
3: I'm thinking that 12-foot piranha bees aren't that big a threat. <laughs> Not like a giant star goat that can eat a whole planet.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh.
3: And for some reason, neither of us remember the man who rules the universe specifically stating... That he told Zarniwoop, "How can you tell there's anything out there?" The door's closed. When he was asked about the rest of the universe, mm-hmm. because we had a long conversation about him not believing anything he can't see. So I don't know why I don't remember him saying, "But the door is closed." Mm-hmm.
0: That's correct. I don't.
3: I don't know why we missed that. So there's some things that I'm sure I knew but seemed like it was the first time I saw it when I was looking at the comic book.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Well, I know how frustrated you were during that whole conversation. Yes. So it doesn't surprise me that we missed something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs)
3: And that'll bring us to The Life, the Universe, and Everything, the last of the three comic books. All right. In the first issue, when Arthur was noticing that his towel, bag, and stones in the bag were all different, Mm -hmm. you stated you remembered that in the book, Arthur's robe was different. Well, when Ford and Arthur appeared on Lord's Cricket Ground, Arthur was all disoriented and asked Ford to tell him he was dreaming. So Ford did, and Arthur chose to believe him. (laughs) Arthur then noticed his attire and asked where he got these clothes, because he should not be wearing the same filthy, dilapidated clothes he had in his dream. hmm So... <laughs> I don't believe his robe changed. But I believe that it's easy to be confused... Right. As he said, where did I get these clothes? Because right. he was supposed to be dreaming. <laughs> so, he had a dream he was wearing these clothes. hmm And now it was all a dream. So, where did I get these clothes? <laughs> when Bistro was being explained... Which, that's uh, explained as a tall order.
0: (laughs) Well, sorry, Barkness was pretty tall.
2: Yes,
3: yes, he was. (laughs) It was talking about how all mathematical conferences were held in such good restaurants that many of the finest minds of a generation died of obesity, putting the science of math back by years. Right. Neither of us recalled it out. Yep. And we were wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. It's in the book.
3: <laughs> also, I'm going to say now we're almost near the end. I don't believe there was ever an instance where I called something out that you said, yeah, it was in there.
0: No, no. I believed I believed everyone when you said it was wasn't in the book. I believed it. After having been corrected as many times as we were during the whole process, I got to understand that i would be corrected <laughs> right. you didn't you didn't want to believe that it wasn't in the book that's but right. you don't specifically remember it
3: i stated in the podcast that i thought that the bow your heads in payment was incorporated into the movie with mm-hmm. huma kalufa mm-hmm. but it was not they all bowed their heads when they refrained Achoo. <laughs> so bow your heads in payment mm-hmm. wasn't a tithing thing in that church, right. which I kind of thought it was. And and again, the whole general mishmash mm-hmm. of everything gets crammed together. We could make one good, take everything from everything and make its own. <laughs> we'll do our own version. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right.
0: <laughs> I, I agree.
3: <laughs> so we're going to get to the second issue of life, the universe and everything. Mm-hmm. And in the cricket war crimes trial, Judiciary Pag, being very relaxed, said, free yow" and asked if there was something in this water. Mm -hmm. When he was told no, he was told to take it away and put something in it. (laughs) Even though I knew it was the war crimes trial, and Zaphod has not been in the book very much, that whole thing sounded so Zaphod-like.
0: Right,
2: right.
3: I just imagined it was Zaphod mm-hmm. for no other reason mm-hmm. than it was the most Zaphod thing ever in the history of things.
0: Right. I mean, Zaphod is a character that we associate with being relaxed. Yes, and, and just drinking. thing happen, letting everything happen around him. So this character was similar. And I guess what we find out by this particular utterance of the judge is that Zaphod is not the one creating all these words and comments and phrases They exist out there. He's just repeating them.
3: Yes, yeah. Friow <laughs> is not unique to Zaphod. Right. When Arthur learned he could fly after the explosion of Agrajag's cave, mm-hmm. he did it by wondering what was in the lost bag that all of a sudden was there for no good reason. Right. The first thing he mentions is olive oil. Mm-hmm. You remembered the liquor retzina, mm-hmm. but totally forgot about the olive oil. I did. However, he remembered the olive oil first and the retzina when he was losing the ability to fly that got him to fly again. Right. So he started to fall, flew, started to fall. So you edited out in your mind mm-hmm. the first time right. and held on to the second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And this one was funny. This one both had us just shaking our heads. <laughs> and it's understandable. Okay. Because it's the same scene but portrayed differently. Okay. So when things are portrayed in dialogue and portrayed in narrative, mm-hmm. it's easy to understand how you could read it in dialogue and not remember the narrative. Right. Right. So Arthur was at the party chatting up party goers to try and find the silver bale. He took a drink and started choking. Mm-hmm. There was a little man that he was talking to who decided to join him and started coughing along
0: with Arthur. Right, I remember this in the book. and I remember this in the comic book and thinking... There's no way it was in the book. Right. But it was just
3: a little narrative aside. Right. So technically it is in the book... But it wasn't in dialogue. It was in
0: narrative. Right, right. <laughs> it, it's, it was crazy, you know. It, it, and again, like you say, sometimes the audio clue compared to a visual clue, compared compared to a reading or textural clue are yes. completely different.
3: I don't remember it from the radio show
0: either. I no, mean, I don't remember it from the radio show either.
3: If, if they had a dialogue version in the radio show... It may have stood out in my mind,
0: right? And even at that, it might have been background noises—the like people coughing around—and right. we would have no idea that it was part of the story. Yes,
3: <laughs> yeah, because that was a time when he was looking for the silver bale, and it was the Rory Award, mm-hmm. and they kept using all kinds of background noise and sound effects to edit out the word right that the Rory was awarded for. So, in Belgium.
1: Yes.
2: Uh,
3: All right. The last and final comic book of Life, the Universe, and everything. We called them out for having Marvin say bloody when he said the people of cricket have him running the whole bloody thing. We were correct that Marvin did not nor would ever say bloody. (laughs) So again, you'd think, why haven't you given up? Because there are still
0: things in the book that were unique. That's right. Data never uses a contraction. No. (laughs) No. That was the only way you ever determined whether it was Data or Lore. Because Lore was able to use contractions and Data wasn't. Correct. (laughs) See, they're stealing from Star Trek. (laughs) Or Star Trek stealing from them. That's right.
3: (laughs) When Arthur was returning the Ashes... He asked a policeman to tell him where he should put the ashes. In the comic, Arthur told Ford he has to believe the policeman was speaking metaphorically. <laughs> I thought there was no way I would have not remembered that line of dialogue from yep, Arthur.
0: I remember that.
3: <laughs> well, Arthur did not say that line. Again, the sentiment is in there,
0: right. but it is narrative. Narrative.
3: So these are two instances. Where the dialogue, I think, actually is funnier and more memorable Mm -hmm. than a narrative version of it. That's true. That's true. And the last thing on our list is during the epilogue, you spoke up and did not remember that after Arthur stopped his adventures, he moved to the planet Cricket, which had once again become an idyllic pastoral world, even if the songs did occasionally get on his nerves. (laughs) So, finally, after all this, the last part of the last comic, you went, no, that's not in there. And we looked it up. And, and it's there it there. is. <laughs> yeah, it was... I had
0: still not learned my lesson. No. You know,
1: he had to get one in there.
3: He finally was confident enough to uh, speak up.
0: Oh, yes. And I was wrong.
3: So... All of those instances of us not understanding or remembering were edited out because I didn't want it to seem like we didn't actually read these books <laughs> or read them multiple times. Oh my goodness,
0: yes. I mean, the, the level of detail is impossible
3: to remember. But I would have to say that our biggest episode of <laughs> the season mm-hmm, Would have been episode 43. (laughs) You mean our 42 episode? Our 42 (laughs) episode, which was episode
0: 43. Oh, yes, yes. yes. We did take a a little leap in time to make that work. (laughs) It's just the way it worked out. Absolutely.
3: We would have had to change things too dramatically mm-hmm. to fit it at 42. So, mm-hmm. I kind of like that it's the 43.
0: I do. I do. And I, and I like the little special announcement that we added to the 42nd episode to introduce the 43rd, in which we discussed 42. Yes. <laughs> Can you keep all those numbers straight? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that.
3: <laughs> well, talking about the 42 episode is a great lead-in to what I like to call the loose ends, Mm -hmm. which is all the additional questions that I have had, and maybe Brian has some too, after reading all six books and thinking about them afterwards of, hey, I never talked about this, or I just thought of this. So I'm going to bring some of those up, and I want you to keep this in mind with these questions. With the infinite improbability drive, with time travel, with reverse temporal engineering, and... Mostly, everything is possible in an infinite universe, or rather, multiverse. Mm-hmm. There is not a question for which an answer can't be manufactured. That's correct. So, so there's nothing that can't be answered, but the answer isn't always simple. <laughs> but before we get into a question, there's this weird thought that went through my mind about the whale and the number 42. Mm-hmm. When they were over Magrathea, Arthur hit the infinite improbability button out of desperation. Right. And he turned the missiles into a whale and a bowl of petunias. hmm In a way, Adams did a thing with AgraJag and the petunias had a story. Correct. I don't know why they were petunias, but Mm-mm. it was AgraJag <laughs> and we know right. that whole thing. Right. But the whale was never explained except to tell the sad story of him coming to the realization of being a whale Mm -hmm. before he was suddenly a whale no longer. (laughs) So I got to thinking, why out of everything in the world (laughs) did Adams decide to put a whale as what the missile turned into? Mm -hmm. During the episode we did about the comic books of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. one of the panels or the card from the book, I don't remember which it was, Yes, there was an image where the tail of the whale was the only thing that remained after it crashed to the ground.
0: Correct, correct.
3: The tail of a whale is referred to as a fluke. Actually, one half, I think technically, the the whale's tail splits out into two flukes. Each fin that comes off the side of the whale is a fluke. Mm -hmm. But a fluke is also what is used to describe an improbable event. <laughs> so did Adams intentionally use a whale because the whale has a fluke? Mm-hmm. So Arthur hits the improbability button, and what a fluke, a whale appears. So <laughs> I can't believe that was his conscious thought. But it came from somewhere.
2: Yep,
0: it was a whale's tail, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway.
3: (laughs) So, one of the things that I have heard is intuition is being described as your brain making connections to ideas or things that your conscious mind doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So, to me... In Douglas Adams' mind, he knows that the whale of a tail is called a fluke. He's Mm -hmm. doing the improbability drive. He knows that improbable events are flukes. He's not making the decision. He just needs to know what should I make appear. His (laughs) brain puts all that together, shoots out a whale. Nobody knows why. Mm -hmm. The reason I bring that up is because so many believe that there is really an ultimate question, and the answer to it is really 42. Right part of me wants to agree right I want to attribute it to our collective subconscious minds making connections with information we don't know we have-hmm the answer is simple but the reason that it is the answer is too complex for us to hold in our minds long enough mm-hmm. to actually create the concept okay We all have the pieces but are unable <laughs> to assemble them into a thought
0: I gotcha kind
3: of like truly understanding infinity <laughs> But I have something new to add to our 42 discussion that I have not heard before. Okay. And I don't think I'm unique in thinking this, but I do not remember ever hearing or seeing it anywhere. On prehistoric Earth, Ford and Arthur were gleaning the question from pulling tiles out of a Scrabble bag. Right. When they got to the end of the 6 by 9 question, there were no more tiles left in the bag.
2: hmm
3: And that doesn't mean it was the end of the question. Mm-hmm. He brushed off a whole bunch of tiles. Mm -hmm. He didn't take all the tiles and put them in the bag. Right. So what do you get when you multiply six by nine is not the whole question. (laughs) It's only the beginning Mm -hmm. of the question. Okay. (laughs) So that's why we don't know what the question is. Is because he ran out of Scrabble tiles because he didn't put them all back in the bag. Oh,
0: I see. And then it's going to say, and you subtract... (laughs)
3: or whatever. It could go on or two. Uh (laughs) So, it's just not the end of the question. Uh I don't know what the question is, Mm -hmm. but I know the beginning. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I do understand what you're saying. The caveman does sweep the tiles off the board, and that leaves only the tiles that remain in the bag, so... That's all they had to work from. He's not a caveman.
3: So, Brian, I have one question remaining about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. And it's this. What was Trisha McMillan's costume at the fancy dress party? We know that she had to have the mice with her since we know from other books that Zaphod was unwilling to wait for her to go back and get everything, not even her purse. So there is no way he would have said, oh, yeah, go get your mice. Mm -hmm. So she went from the party out. Now, yes, there is quintessential phase, which has a little bit that made it sound like he came back to Earth to get her mice. But I don't buy all of that. But Mm -hmm. I think she had to have the mice with her at the party as part of her costume for it truly to work. So what do you think her costume
0: would have been? I think we get a glimpse of that answer also in the movie because in the movie there's a scene with Arthur and Trillian and she's Sigmund and Freud. she is right she's dressed as Sigmund Freud so I think uh, a a doctor or psychologist or someone who might be working with mice could very well have been her costume. So Freud was a mouse maze running behavioral no, psychologist No he he wasn't <laughs> And and we won't use the movie as a good reference to the book material, but but she, whoever the she could have been Skinner or Pavlov or some behavioral using animals
2: mm-hmm. and
0: all of that.
3: Okay, so then we're going to go to a restaurant at the end of the universe, and I do have a couple of extra questions that were there. Okay, Marvin was in the car park of the restaurant at the end of the universe. <laughs> Zaphod asked him what he was doing there. Right. And what was his response? Parking cars. Were there really cars <laughs> to park
0: at Milliways? Ways? Well, no, but see, <laughs> we have to relate that we are, you know, it's a good point here. And, and, I, and I think this is one of those situations where we can excuse a lot of the technical verbiage if we want to. Because remember, as you said, in most of the tales we are listening to this story or hearing this story or interacting with this story through arthur's viewpoint yes and if you think about it arthur got his babelfish in his ear and the babelfish is translating the signals and the psychic energy from the people who are sending it and relating it to arthur so we are understanding the story Through Arthur, if you will. Yes. So, the idea of a car park would have come from Arthur's mind. He would not have associated a spaceport. Because he's too stupid of a monkey
3: to understand spaceport and spaceship. No. Even now at restaurant (laughs) after he has traveled
0: the galaxy. Well, as I said, we can use this as a reference. You know, he would... Perhaps think of that a place where you would park your vehicle as a car park. And therefore, that's where we get the idea that Marvin's in a car park. Because we're listening to a translation of a fish going through Arthur's mind, sorting through the data <laughs> that's within it, and coming up with a relevant image. Now, I don't know how much time Arthur sat there and thought about what it would look like if you were in a spaceport. And how many spaceships a spaceport could hold? I don't know that he would have spent any time thinking about those things. No. But I know he would have thought about a car park. And he would have thought about parking cars. So the actual word cars and parking probably came, in my mind, from the Babelfish's integration into Arthur's subconscious mind. Okay. So you're right. He was at a spaceport. He was parking space vehicles.
3: So Ford and Arthur realize that they are on prehistoric Earth Mm. when they see Slardy Barkfast's signature in the glacier. Mm -hmm. Now, we do know that he said he did win an award. Correct. But why do they believe that is the only award that he has ever won and assume wholeheartedly, correctly, but that they are on Earth? Why couldn't (laughs) that have been some other
0: planet that he won an
3: award for? (laughs)
0: Well, that's a good question. So they're in Norway, Nordic countries. They're in a place known for fjords. And they have been told by Slarty that that's what he won an award for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And we did have a conversation about, well, how did they translate the letters? Because they didn't know what they couldn't read the letters. Well, we know that because they can't read a person's name unless you understand it has some specific relation to a... Person, place or thing that you know of, right? So that's why they didn't recognize Slarty's name in the award. Uh, but contextually, it
2: all fit. Yes, yes. So it like was said, a Fjord, correct.
0: You know, it looked like Slarty.
3: <laughs> and when they walked from England to where they thought Norway was, it was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so.
3: Next one is, since Millie Ways is built on the ruins of Frogstar World B. Ah, uh, the book. The operators of the derelict space liner were correct in their assumption that another civilization would come along. <laughs> so while the people of Frogstar may have abandoned them, I do believe that they were saved by those responsible for Millie Ways. <laughs> so that's not really a question, it's just an observation that I had that they were ah, right. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: yes, they, they were right. I, I'm not sure how many, uh, lemon soaked napkins Millie Ways would have imported on a regular basis in order to resupply supply the starship. <laughs> <laughs> Or whether even after a few million years with 30 seconds of life, those particular <laughs> passengers would continue to live. Uh, that, that to me, the math doesn't quite work out. But.
3: Well, we don't know
0: when <laughs> Millie was built or that, where it
3: exists. We just know it projects itself forward mm-hmm. to the end of the universe. But where
0: is or when was it actually built? That That is correct. We don't know when because it slips back and forth in time. But we could assume that it was built near the end of time. Yes.
3: Yes. <laughs> so my last question about restaurant at the end of the universe is this. Do you think this would be a plaque on one of the sarcophagus of the golgoth Ark Arc Fleet? <laughs> golgoth Ark Arc Fleet, ship B, podcast host, third class. <laughs>
0: Uh, I believe you overestimate the class in which we live. <laughs> oh, fourth class, fifth class. <laughs> uh, podcasters definitely had their own wings <laughs> in the ARC fleet. There is no doubt about it. I think I would agree. As well as every other media tycoon, if you will. Right, yes. <laughs>
3: Unfortunately, Brian... There were no questions that creeped into my mind afterwards after reading Life, the Universe, and everything. So I don't have a question for you on that one.
0: Well, I don't know that I have a question that you can answer, but I do have a question. Okay. Okay? So in Life, the Universe, and everything, we know there's a great deal of time travel going on. They're bouncing back and forth in time. And my question is, how long in terms of their lifespan, if you will, do you think that story took to unfold for the characters of Arthur, Slarty and Ford?
3: So what was their timeline, not the timeline that it is? Because they go to and from the same point in time. So, Correct. But how long did it take for all of that to happen? Part of me wants to believe not that long because
0: you've got the time travel you've got the ship the fastest ship ever mm-hmm. I mean the, one, the only reason I bring this up is because at least in the first book we get a sense of day and night they give us a couple of, of moments when they go to sleep they get up or they are, it, it's, it's time for them to rest and then they awaken so we, we know that days have gone by in that story and in this particular story I don't recall any kind of reference to a pause in their day-night cycle. And it almost seems like the whole event takes place in a matter of a few hours. It it (laughs) does. And I think
3: one of the reasons for that is because, like we've mentioned a number of times, this book jumps around. Mm -hmm. So every time they jump from this part of the story to the other part of the story and then go back to that part of the story, any amount of time that could have just been traveling for a month mm-hmm. could have happened. Mm-hmm. So I guess my simple answer to the question is there is absolutely no way to tell because all of the traveling between point A and point B is eliminated when they jump to another part of the story.
0: Okay. But so I, like
3: you, believe it was a very
0: short amount of time. Right. Just one bad Thursday in Arthur's One life.
3: bad
2: Thursday. <laughs>
3: But in so long and thanks for all the fish, I did have this thought go through my mind one day and I thought I would ask you what you thought. When the dolphins called a replacement Earth into existence into this universe, did they bring back Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings and her poetry? Or were they benevolent and did the universe a favor by leaving her and her poetry out?
0: What an excellent question, Jeff. (laughs) And I wish I had an excellent answer. Because of course we have no idea, but that's a really good point. I mean what do they say in the book that it's like one photon difference from one planet to the next? You right. know, the, the photon interacted with something and caused everything to be slightly different. Where the three leaf clover's the rare one. The and... three leaf clover was the rare one. So there was very little difference in the Earth's as we understand it, because if there was only the Three-leaf clover, four-leaf clover thing.
3: So the dolphins aren't responsible for who existed on the planet. They just called one that was only the one photon hitting this clover difference. Right,
0: right. And then we also know that they took Fenchurch from, in theory, they took Fenchurch from the original planet and moved her to this new fictional planet where I don't understand why she didn't exist or maybe her doppelganger was killed (laughs) right and 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 that's why her brother was so weird to her you know because they didn't quite mesh they weren't in the same phase right and of course there's always this
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes there is always this (laughs) so
0: that you know it it, that's a good question
3: all right so we're going to move on to mostly harmless and it was stated that random was not really that random Because Arthur's DNA was the only compatible DNA on file. But apparently there was lots of it. (laughs) During the episode, you mentioned ancient astronaut theorists and their
2: beliefs.
3: (laughs) I am sure that there are some who truly believe Mm -hmm. in alien-human hybridization. Right. So why was Trillian not able to hybridize?
0: That's a good question. You know, obviously, when we see these stories... We have the bipedal, (laughs) biarmal approach to what we conceive uh, life to be. Right. And it's infinitely fascinating to me when we get into worlds that show us other options. Like when we talk about the Horta in Star Trek, the being that is composed of silicon Mm -hmm. or silica. Right. And we hear about the concepts where there could be silicon-based life forms. Right. And we just really can't even conceive of what that would structurally look like.
3: Is that a pun about hybridization? Uh, conceive?
1: No, <laughs>
0: just... <laughs> yeah, you brought that one in. So if there's a loss of laughter here, it's your fault. <laughs> okay so so i i constantly think about that and then i look at other space based programs that we watch you know and i and i think of um specifically like orville right and i love that they have a jelly monster yes. being in orville you know yeah, blob <laughs> a blob you know and they they just really take it to the other extent and even in the newer star trek versions where they have insectal people and, and, and things of that nature. We know that life is not suppressible, that life is something that's going to find a way to exist. Right. We can only assume that there's thousands of forms in which life can take place. So in answer to your question, it seems far more likely that yes, she should have been able to hybridize from any one of the species that we saw her interact with because they were mostly human-like.
3: But she saw the species and went, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she certainly wasn't going to date a
0: Vogon, was she? (laughs) But, you know, that, that, that's a hundred percent true. The technology involved, uh, well, we're told that by Adams. Everything exists in that universe, right. you know, the ratchet screwdriver trees, you know, that yes. <laughs> they're out there, you know. So she should have been able to do that. That, that was just a play on, on how often Arthur got upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to put it. <laughs>
3: So about Infinitum Enterprises, who mm. took over the Hitchhiker's Guide to Infinidim. the Galaxy. Why did they think they would sell one guide to billions of universes if the cover said "panic" in small alarming letters? <laughs> <laughs> Why did they think they could sell those?
0: <laughs> oh gosh, I, I you know I, I really don't know. In- infinitum and the Vogons taking over the hitchhiker's guide it's still a puzzle and i know we've had discussions about how could one guide exist in an infinite number of worlds and how could they sell it once in in an infinite number of times it's it's too very very confusing yes and i always take that the panic thing was actually manufactured by the book itself, you know, because it has all this artificial intelligence. Right. So it contains all knowledge that it needs, and perhaps it thinks it's a joke by putting panic on the cover. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and we've even had a discussion a little bit about it when we were talking about it, and another thing, the the fact that he chose the Mark II uh, having run out of battery. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A concept that makes me question the whole book. It, it's a very odd construct, the Mark II. Yes, it is.
3: My last question about Mostly Harmless is that on Lamuella, the perfectly <laughs> normal beasts appear and disappear. Correct. It is stated that there are portals that are always there or at least are there at a certain time of year. Correct. They appear and disappear in the same places, go in opposite directions twice a year. Mm-hmm. Also, since they can be caught to ride with the aid of a pika bird, why haven't they caught and bred them as cattle rather than counting on a migration, which may or may not end at any time?
0: <laughs> well, that's an excellent question. Um, the only answer I can come up with is that it is a migration. So therein may lie the answer. Okay. Most animals migrate because they are chasing a food source. That And what we can assume is the food source that they have previously exhausted is what they're going away from. Right. And the food source that they know exists in a distant area is what they're going to. Okay. So perhaps the food source that they require doesn't exist on Lemuela, so they cannot breed them. On they Lemuel. couldn't feed them. They couldn't feed them.
3: Yeah, because they don't stop and eat well, they <laughs> they, and they don't paint Lamuella as
0: a lush no. green world <laughs> no it's pretty pathetic at every level <laughs> right so okay if they
3: caught them they'd have to feed them and mm-hmm. if they can't feed them they can't breed them mm-hmm. and, i mean that's purely speculation yeah. but it but it fits with the narrative of the story it does absolutely
0: <laughs> i like that
3: and then my last question is going to be about, and another thing. hmm And here it is. <laughs> and here it is. Was it necessary, or shall I say... What, the whole book? <laughs> imperative to the story to have Zaphod remove one of his heads? Oh. And couldn't he have done whatever needed to be accomplished another way? Mm-hmm. Is there anything about the story and Zaphad taking off a head that's like, oh, if he didn't remove his head, this wouldn't have happened this way?
0: I don't know. I mean, what, what we're led to understand during the story, and if you've listened to our previous broadcast, well, God bless you. and <laughs> <laughs> And you learned that during that book his left head subtly suggested that it be removed from the body, that it understood that it was being held back intellectually by the right head. And eventually, once it was released from the body, it became much more intelligent. All of those facts are odd. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All of those facts, I'm not sure, but that's what, we led to believe is the motivation for the head leaving the body. So
3: I think like I mentioned during the show, mm-hmm. if not, it's here's one of the thoughts I had was the smart head didn't choose to be on the body. No. And have the dumb head cut its own head off. <laughs> the smart head chose to be cut off and hooked up into a jar and computer and wires.
0: Yes, that's correct.
3: That also doesn't make any sense. No,
0: and and don't we know from the story, Mm -hmm. from the book, that two-headedness is in the family? We knew that from the comic book only. Oh, really? Because
3: they mentioned grandfather, but grandfather's never mentioned as... Having two heads? Right. But in the comic book, that's how it's drawn. Remember my punk band... Right. Grandpa has two
0: heads. <laughs> <laughs> grandpa has two heads. Exactly. So yeah, I mean I, I'm thinking the same way. My recollection was, and, and perhaps I I don't know which which story I got the idea from is that grandpa also had two heads and it was a family trait in to have two heads in that family.
3: And a lot of things that I assume from stories that I am reading is what's not said mm-hmm. is as important as what is said. Mm-hmm. Like when grandfather appeared, Ford, Trillion, Arthur, none of them said he only has one head. <laughs> Everybody completely understood it was Zaphod's grandfather, which to me meant he was recognizable as Zephod's grandfather. Mm hmm which will also bring back to the point that they recognize Zephod with a head cut off,
0: which didn't make any sense to me either. Right. I, I think the, the, only, the only thing that I can think of that makes that part of the story important is the reference material that uh, Owen uses for his book is heavily on the radio side. Yes. It, it's definitely got book references, of a, lo- a lot of book references, but it definitely has a nod to the radio show and we wouldn't know from the radio show whether zapot's grandfather had two heads unless we were told that directly so i guess what owen believed or thought or would be my assumption is that the extra head was added like the extra arm and therefore could be removed therefore like the extra arm if he chose to so I mean, that would be my only thought, but you're right. It's it's not necessary. It's not integral to the story. It makes the conversation with Hillman Hunter a little easier <laughs> because it's a video call and he's only got one head.
3: Right. Well, it's... Uh, I'm, I'm glad we're ending with this because this <laughs> this I could talk about forever. My first thought about Zephot having one head would be... And this doesn't make any sense, so this can't be true. He did not do it to make the fans mad. But it seems like an act of defiance. Mm -hmm. Like, let me show you what I can do. (laughs) I can cut off Zayfod's head. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Like it or not, I can cut off his head. Why did I do it? There's not even a reason. (laughs) Just because I can. That's how I feel Mm -hmm. about it and Mm -hmm. the way it is portrayed in this book. Because there's a thing they call the sexy lamp. A lot of times, female characters are put into shows for no other reason than to be an attractive female character on the show. And what they say is, if this character can be replaced by a sexy lamp, then it's an unnecessary character. Mm -hmm. And Zaphod's second head was a sexy lamp. It was just there to be called attention to, and it had no real purpose.
0: Yeah, except, and, and, and I do agree to a great extent. The only caveat I would say is that Owen makes a point of saying that the travels of the infinite Improbability probability drive were misdirected until Zephod's head became integrated into the system providing stability okay and I I always thought that was an odd thing that happened in the book but he makes a point of saying that the travels were random and unfocused until Zapod's head became integrated into the system and then everything was hunky-dory so I I guess
3: I, 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 so, I find that a stretch I don't think that was needed. Mm-hmm. Yes, he manufactured everything being awry, mm-hmm. being fixed by Zaphod's head. It right. wasn't...
2: Right, so,
0: he, so I guess he needed he, he wanted that as a foil in the story. But why he wanted it or why he felt it was a mistake, I, it's like, like you say, it wasn't really necessarily a FU, if you will, to the fans. In his mind, he's perhaps correcting an error and he's thinking that the impossibility drive should be more directed and have more potential
3: other thing I want to add about Zaphod adding a second head is an appendage, an arm I could see an arm being grown in a lab and attached or even a mechanical arm added but a head with the brain can't just be manufactured and have its own personality so to add a head isn't like adding an arm (laughs) and then what they don't bring up is if it was added which one was the original (laughs) and wouldn't you want to remove the one that was added Mm -hmm. not the original and then if it was the one that was added that was removed he added a smarter head. And so it's just too many questions to believe Zaphod had his second head
0: added. Right. And I just thought of something, Jeff. I'm surprised it didn't come to me earlier. But the other thing that Owen could have been doing is doing a nod to the movie. Because, of course, Zaphod's other head gets removed in the movie. Yes. And held hostage. Correct. And then it's. I guess, re-implanted on the body later. And, of course, that was a weird one with the bo- with the head being, like, submerged into the neck of the other head. Yes, it was, yes, weird.
3: It was a, a weird Pez dispenser head that <laughs> didn't make much sense, and I'm not uh, a big fan of that version of it. Mm-hmm. However, that version of it is what would allow Hillman Hunter to talk to Zaphod with no problem. Right. Or Zaphod being able to blend into a party, regardless if it was a costume party. So I understand that use for it, but I don't understand the practicality or
0: the physiology (laughs) of how that would work. Yeah. I mean, we have to ignore a lot of physiology and that kind of thing. But it did make me laugh when you said that because I was thinking about all the AI in this story. You know, Mm -hmm. We've got Marvin and, and right. we've, we've got uh, AI with personality. You know, we've got doors that are happy to exist. I mean, yes. <laughs> the things that exist in this universe are not the things that we understand in real life. Absolutely. <laughs> you and I have had multiple conversations about Douglas Adams's language, how he phrases things. Yes. We have spent hours editing ourselves And trying to go through the material and I remember, you remember, we'll listen to the thing that we want to write down. We will immediately start writing it down. We'll get halfway through the second word and forget what he said. Right. (laughs) And the way he phrases it was important. So we'd have to go back and listen to it again or look at the text version and write it out as the text version would say it because it was almost impossible to get it in his language. Right. But the important part, I think, of Douglas Adams's stories is his language.
3: Correct. And that's why it is as close to impossible as it could be For somebody to write another book or a sequel Mm -hmm. that's going to sound the same. Right. Because his phraseology or phraseology just was unique. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. I think we've probably beaten this dead horse enough, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) Owen does do a respectable job in, in terms of respecting the universe. Yes. But it's a mimic Uh, He's trying to mimic the style of Douglas Adams. You don't feel the parenthetical nature of Douglas's story when he writes it. No. You're into the universe as he's writing it. As Jeff pointed out many times during our our review of And Another Thing, it takes you out of the story when it's written by another individual. Or I, I don't even want to say another individual, but the way Owen wrote it. It takes you out of the story instead of being essential to the story.
3: Well, in Owen's defense, is he's the only one who has written an authorized version Correct. of a sequel or part of this story arc. So we can't say everybody can't, but nobody else has really tried that mm-hmm. we can compare to. So mm-hmm. we just have to assume everybody would fall into the same trap.
0: (laughs) I'm curious because it brings up a question. I know we've had this discussion and we've been in this process now for two years. We've covered all of Douglas Adams' material for for the hitchhikers area. And I know we're going to talk about other areas in the future, but how much fan fiction is out there? And I wonder if there's a fan fiction that represents or is actually closer to the style of Douglas Adams. I I know we haven't... what, what, What would be your read on that question?
3: I would have to imagine that there is much fan fiction out there. I would imagine that the majority of it is short stories. I do know that there is another trilogy written by somebody who goes under the pen name of Adam S. Douglas. (laughs) And I know ages ago when we were talking about the Valentine's Day episode that we were not going to do a lot of fan fiction or any fan fiction for that matter. (laughs) But that was really before I discovered that there was a whole trilogy and I can say anything I want because it's my podcast. but, (laughs) But you don't necessarily have to believe it or by no means take it as gospel. But my understanding in some brief research, and I looked all over and have read so many different things. And like this, I don't remember what came from where or what's a credible source. But the person who wrote the first book, or we'll call it book six... I think he calls it Five and a Half, Mm -hmm. is titled The Big Bang Burger Bar. And when he wrote that, he wrote it out of love of Douglas Adams and he didn't want the story to end. And he brought the story to the Douglas Adams estate and said, I've got this idea. I'm writing this novel. It would mean everything to me if I could have your blessing to create a new novel. In the Hitchhiker's universe. And they said, no, we have absolutely no interest in continuing the Hitchhiker's universe. Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, okay. And he planned on just keeping this novel to himself and writing it for his own and maybe some some friends. And from what I read, it was a very short time afterwards that he heard that Owen Culfer was commissioned... To write the next Hitchhiker's novel. And he's like,
2: what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: And he said, well, I'm going to publish it then. Mm. So he's gone online and you can find The Big Bang Burger Bar by Adam S. Douglas. And he's got two more. So he's got a, a trilogy. That I think is five and a half, six and a half, and seven and a half are is the numbers of his book. I have not read a word of it. I do not know it. It's available, it's out there. I've downloaded it. I've got the PDFs (laughs) on my computer ready to decide if I want to tackle it. Mm -hmm. And it might be an episode in season three. I don't know. So our next episode, the first episode of season three will be Hexagonal Phase, which is the BBC radio drama based on And Another Thing.
0: (laughs) And I imagine it's going to be relatively close in spirit. I believe it should be. Mm -hmm. That's what they've done
3: with all the others.
0: Right, and, and we actually know for a fact that the book has been played as a book of the month or something along those lines. Uh, on the BBC. Okay, yes. It has multiple little tiny segments that were played for the entire BBC audience. So I believe it's the whole book. I mean, I think it's the 10 plus hours of the book that have actually been read, if you will, for the BBC. Oh. So I mean, I'm mean, i curious, because obviously I've not listened to Hexagonal Phase. I'm, I'm again, interested in knowing where we're going to go with this, you know? Yes,
3: yes. What I'm most interested in or even more interested in, is there's an apocryphal phase after hexagonal phase Mm -hmm. that I don't know what it's based on. Right. Neither do I. We will find out together.
0: That's right.
3: (laughs) Well, this was fun talking about the old episodes and finally getting some answers to some of the questions that have crept up over time. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we're able to do this again for the
0: end of season two. Well, it certainly uh, represents uh, some special inside knowledge on the podcast that you've been listening to, and we certainly hope that you've enjoyed it. But bye-bye, season two. Yes, and speaking <laughs> of bye-bye, season
3: two, I guess since we are at the end of this episode, I guess it's time to say goodbye. So
0: say goodbye, Brian. Okay, Jeff, I'm just hoping that visions of sugar plums dance through your heads.
3: I don't think that was in the book. <laughs>
0: Again? Again? You're reusing material? (laughs) No! Sugar... Both heads. (laughs) Okay,
1: there we go.
3: Thank you for listening to Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea. Look for us the first Thursday of every month for a full episode. We will also release a bonus episode later in the month. A very special thanks goes out to Luke, Max, Greg, and Tim Lesnick, for arranging and performing our opening theme. We would also like to thank our talented friends and family for their voice work on our introductions and commercials. A thank you to Kyla for portraying Fenchurch in our opening, and to Alyssa for portraying God in our commercial. Visit our website at digitalwatchesareaprettyneatidea.buzzsprout.com where you can find links to all my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy-inspired t-shirt designs. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube as Digital Watches are a pretty neat idea. On Instagram, at Watches Idea Podcast, and on Twitter, or should I say X, at Watches Idea. If you'd like to contact us, our email is digitalwatchespodcast at (laughs) gmail.com.
2: This has been a Fruits for Thought production.